So we're reading uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I, I, may, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Good morning, everyone. It's, um, it's really great to be with you this morning. I was just, um, just really uh, struck as we were singing together. I think maybe it's a bit of an association of the time of year. You know how you kind of associate things to the time of year? Um, I think I've developed an association that this is the time of year that we should all be locked down in our houses and I stand here on a Sunday morning and stare into a camera. Um, so I'm really, in the light of that, I'm really enjoying uh, being together with you this morning. Um, those who are still behind the camera, um, I'm glad that you can join us. I hope that uh, you're feeling better soon. A shout out to, uh, to James, who has just sent me a text message saying, uh, let people know that there are co paper copies of guidelines for giving um, on the back table. So thank you, James. Uh, James is not well this morning. Um, and a shout out to, uh, to Roland also, who is um, on holidays in New Zealand, half his luck, um, and uh, has, uh, has checked in this morning. Um, if you are at home online, uh, do please uh, let us know that you're there um, and uh, so that we, we know how we can be uh, serving you and praying for you. Uh, but let's pray as we uh, come to this part of uh, 2 Corinthians. Father God, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that we can gather together this morning and open your word and think about what it says. Father, we, we ask that you give us insight and understanding. We ask that you'd work in our hearts by your spirit. And please grow us into the people that you want us to be. 
And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was reading uh, an excellent little commentary during the week uh, called Two Corinthians for You. Uh, it's by Gary Miller. It's by the same, same guy that uh, has written the, uh, the, the Bible study guide that we, uh, many of our growth groups are using. And uh, I learned in it of uh, the origin of a phrase that I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard. Uh, it began in 1814 when the, the Russian poet and author Ivan Andreevich Krylov was my, my best, um, I was practicing that. Uh, he wrote a, a, a fable called The Inquisitive Man. And uh, in, in this fable, a man goes into a museum and he, he notices all sorts of tiny things, but he fails to notice an elephant. Uh, then Fyodor Dostoevsky later wrote uh, in his novel Demons, Belinsky was just like Krylov's inquisitive man who didn't notice the elephant in the museum. And from that, the phrase elephant in the museum uh, became eventually the elephant in the room. A saying to, to describe a big and obvious issue that has not yet been mentioned but soon will be brought to uh, our attention. And I think that sums up what's going on here in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. You might have noticed as we've worked through it that uh, up until now that Paul hasn't directly addressed the, the false teachers who have come in amongst the Corinthian church, caused trouble and, and leveled various accusations against Paul. Um, and they're, they're obviously there uh, throughout the letter, in the room, so to speak. Uh, you see that in uh, Paul's need to defend himself and his, his ministry throughout the, the early chapters of the letter. Uh, you see it in, in his warnings uh, to the Corinthians to not be yoked together with unbelievers in chapter 6. But now here in chapter 10, he turns to address the, the very large, impressive sounding and philosophically sophisticated elephant in the room. Uh, he finally begins to address the accusations that have been levelled against him. Uh, these divisive and arrogant super apostles, which uh, is a, a label he gives them in the next chapter, we'll see more of that next week, have been accusing him. And, and I reckon being personally accused, attacked, is one of the harder things to, to cope with in, in life for all of us. And yet it's also one of the, the most certain things for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Uh, we face criticism, we face attacks, accusations. Uh, sometimes they're, they're ridiculous and outrageous. Uh, other times they're, they're clever and subtle. Sometimes the accusations might be, might be justified. Um, other times they're not. Sometimes they're, they're blatantly false. Uh, other times they might be a kind of a mixture of, of truth and lies. One thing I think we can be sure of, though, is that criticism and attacks will come. Maybe some of you are currently facing that or, or dealing with, with criticisms and attacks. How do we respond when we're attacked? It can be complex. I mean, we might need to, we might need to listen. We might need to, to learn. Or other times, we might need to refute lies that come our way. Uh, sometimes we, we need to change course and be corrected. At other times we need to stand firm. Uh, I think it can be messy, it can be complicated to know how to respond to criticism and attacks. How do you get the, the balance right between all those different factors? Well, I reckon we could do well to learn from the example of Paul as, as he followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is draw out uh, seven principles that we see in Paul's example 
which I think will help us to, to approach these complexities of, of life and uh, of, of living in a church and particularly of the, the complexities of Christian leadership. Now, this is probably showing my age, but um, who's heard of the, the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Show of hands. Yes, some people have, some people haven't. It was uh, written in uh, 1989, which you know, is probably before some of you were born. Um, uh, a business self-help book by uh, Stephen Covey. Well, this morning I want to, get to go one up on, uh, on Mr. Covey and give us something much more useful, uh, which will outline for us what we see here in Paul, the seven habits of extremely godly leaders under attack. And uh, I'm, I'm indebted to that same commentary uh, I mentioned before for this breakup, but I think it's a really excellent uh, uh, way of capturing this chapter, and I trust that it will, will give us an example to follow and uh, seven habits to develop. Oh, I don't have my glass of water, excuse me. All right, so first habit, and you can follow along on the outline. Um, first habit is be humble and gentle. Paul says, verse 1, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. Uh, here Paul steps out on his own. He says, I, Paul, he's not writing uh, at this point with, you know, with Timothy and his apostolic band. And he highlights his humility and gentleness, or his meekness, as some translations put it. Now, it seems that this was actually one of the things that Paul was being criticised for, that uh, he was judged as, as timid, verse 1. And uh, down in verse 10, it says, some say that uh, in person he is unimpressive. There's a certain irony in, um, in accusing him of humility and meekness, since, well, they're basically just accusing him of being godly, uh, of being like Jesus, who was gentle and lowly, who was humble and meek. Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took on the very nature of a servant, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And But Paul's opponents clearly didn't value humility. Paul gladly, though, wears that accusation as a badge of honour. And he says, notice, it's by the humility and gentleness of Christ. That is, he's imitating his Lord. He's striving to be humble and gentle. And I think that's a, a habit uh, for us to develop, to display when we are under attack, to, to speak and act, to strive to do that with the humility, with the gentleness of Christ, which of course can be hard to do. But we should strive to, to have that same attitude as Christ Jesus, to the, the truly humble and gentle one. Whilst at the same time, we must, habit number two, trust the truth. Paul says, verse 2, I beg, you, uh, sorry, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Paul's been, been judged and condemned according to the standards of the world. Um, but, but Paul's not interested in, in measuring up to any sort of worldly picture of success. And even though he pursued humility and gentleness, that didn't make him a doormat. 
He wasn't going to be swayed by this, this worldly criticism. Instead, he trusted the truth. He clung to the, the gospel and, and fought against and demolished lies and false ideas. And so he says in verse 4, the, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So Paul fights with the, the divine power that the truth has, that the knowledge of God has. The power that it has, verse 5, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think there are so many worldly ideas and philosophies that, that do that, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. I could think of a bunch of, uh, of isms, like uh, materialism, living for stuff, for wealth, for, for possessions, for greed, or hedonism, living for, for pleasure. Uh, well, here's another one I think is growing more and more. Environmentalism, living for the earth, I guess. I reckon that's taken on a, a strong moral and even kind of religious overarching importance for many people. It's interesting, I noticed an ad on the side of a bus recently, um, just during the week. I, I think it was encouraging people to, uh, towards a career in, in early childcare. And it had a picture of someone reading a book to a child. And the book they were reading... Had a, had a cartoon with a, with a blimp that said, recycle. And then the book said, so tell your friends what it means to be green and spread the word. If we can all be green, we can save the world. But wow, there it is. Apparently that, that's the message to live by. That's the word to, to pass on to the next generation. That's the way to save the world. Or I think another dominant ism is, of course, individualism in, in all its various forms. You know, living for the, the God of, of self and, and how I choose to, to be or how I choose to shape my own reality. The truth of the knowledge of God cuts across all these isms. And we ought to trust the truth. So when we're under attack by these, these various voices, I reckon we can, we can feel the pressure to, to retreat, to give in, and in the name of, of so-called tolerance, not trust the truth, not apply it and, and, and show up the, the godless pretension that calls for our allegiance. But if we trust the truth, well then, obedience to Christ... That will be the overarching rule, the standard by which everything is measured, by which everything is judged. Does living for stuff as the primary goal in life, does that align with obedience to Christ? No. Does living for pleasure as the overarching primary goal in life, does that align with obedience to Christ? No. Does living for recycling as the primary goal in life, does that align with obedience to Christ? No. Does living for my own self-determined reality and identity, does, does that align with obedience to Christ? No. So yes, be humble, be gentle, but trust the truth. Use it to show up the lies that oppose the knowledge of God. Now as we come to the third habit, 
Notice that the criticisms of Paul included being judged by appearances. There in verse 7, we see that. And then down in verse 10, it says that uh, some say in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Um, over in next week's passage, 11 verse 6, it, 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 uh, it's, he says, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker. So I think there's obviously uh, some pretty brutal criticisms going on. I mean, you can imagine them saying things like, well, Paul, what a loser. I mean, his, his preaching's ordinary at best, and, well, he's, he's not very impressive. He's a bit dull, really. But Paul doesn't play into their game by, by putting his confidence in his skills, in his performance, and seeking to measure, measure up by whatever worldly standard that they value. He doesn't do that. No, instead, he simply puts his confidence in Christ and in who he is in him. And this is habit number three. Put your confidence in Christ. Verse 7, he says, You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Paul rests on the simple fact and reality that he is Christ's. That's where his confidence lies. Furthermore, for Paul, his confidence was in the fact that Christ had given him authority as his apostle for building up the church at Corinth. And so he was happy to, verse 8, boast somewhat freely about that fact, which is not saying anything about Paul and his cleverness, but everything about Christ and his choosing of Paul for a task. So Paul's confidence is in Christ. And we can have that same confidence and security. If we've acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then we belong to Christ. We're one of his people. We're a member of his body. And however well we may or may not measure up to the standards of this world, that is far less important than who we are in Christ. So in the face of criticism, put your confidence in Christ and in the fact that you belong to him. Fourth habit or characteristic that we see in Paul's example is an ongoing commitment to consistency. Uh, The charges against him included being duplicitous or two-faced, of of being one thing in his letters but but another in person. So verse 10, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive, his speaking amounts to nothing. They're accusing him, if you like, of being a keyboard warrior, but a wimp in person. And I wonder if in our day and age where it's easy and tempting to hide behind text messages and email and social media, well, we ought to ask, are we open to the same charge? Are we one person online and someone else face to face? Against this accusation, Paul assures them that he is committed to respond to them the same way in person as he does in his letters. And that kind of consistency, that's in keeping with the nature of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is not yes and no in the same breath. Every promise God has made is yes in Christ. God is completely faithful. He's completely consistent. And we should strive to be likewise, which also means we should be quick to admit our mistakes when we're not. We commit to consistency. Be humble and gentle, trust the truth, put your confidence in Christ, 
commit to consistency. And fifthly, don't compare. I think it's so natural and normal to compare ourselves with others around us. I mean, it can almost be a, a constant track that plays in our heads, constantly making evaluations, comparisons with other people. I'm smarter than him. I'm dumber than her. She's got more friends than me. I'm a better speaker than him. I'm better looking than her. In so much of life, there's this constant competition going on that perhaps it's going on unconsciously that we compare ourselves with each other. And that was certainly happening in, in Corinth. Uh, and Paul says, don't do it. It's dumb. That's my paraphrase of, of, of verse 12. He says, we do not compare, sorry, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. It's dumb to compare ourselves with and against one another. And that really is what lies behind a lot of the accusations and criticisms I mean, that, that, that we might make or that might be made against us. You know, you're not as good as so-and-so. She's better than you. It's not wise. And when we enter into those kind of comparisons, well, it either leads to pride, look at me, I'm so great, or to pride's ugly sister, self-pity, look at me, I'm so worthless. Don't compare. Instead, a sixth habit, focus on what God has given you to do which is what Paul is striving to do. I mean, he doesn't want to enter into competition with whatever other so-called self-appointed super-apostles are doing and kind of try to get one up over them. It seems they're keen to, to cut in on, on, on his territory and claim it for, their own, for themselves. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't, doesn't want to vie for position and, and influence over this or that. Rather, he just wants to focus on the task that God has given him. Now, in verses 13 to 17, he talks a bit about boasting. I think when we hear boasting, we can, we can sort of think, oh, gee, that's, that's, that's bad, right? You know, shouldn't boast. Uh, and it can be a bad thing. Um, for example, if we're boasting about how great and wonderful and important we are. But boasting needn't be a negative thing. Um, in fact, Paul quotes the Old Testament um, scripture. In verse 17, he says, let the... Um, uh, sorry, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's not a negative thing. So boasting can have a, a positive sense to it, a, a sense of rejoicing, of, of marvelling, of, of glorying in something, which is how Paul is, is boasting here. And so he says, verse 13, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. If I can paraphrase that, he's saying the area, the, the, the sphere of service that, that we're happy to talk about, to boast about, it's an area that includes you. Because we came to you to serve you by bringing you the gospel. So our boast is that well, we, we were the ones who brought you the gospel. Not because we're oh so wonderful, but because well, God himself assigned us that task. And he continues, verse 14, we're, 
we're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. He's not interested in, in claiming credit for other people's ministry. And the same can't be said for those who are opposing him and trying to claim credit for his ministry. What's more, he's not, he's not interested in kind of securing his territory as some sort of trophy for himself. He wants his ministry in Corinth to, to go well and to, to then provide a base to extend the reach of the gospel elsewhere. And so he continues, verse 15, he says, Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So he's not interested in competing with others or taking credit for the work of others. He just wants to focus on the things that God has given him to do. And what a great principle for us to live by. And instead of entering into all the competitive comparisons with all the criticisms that, that follow from that, it, it's liberating to, to see ourselves simply as servants of, of God, servants of Christ, to put our confidence in him and apply ourselves to live for him and to live for the task that he puts before us, whatever that may be. Which brings us to our seventh habit, and that is to live to please God. Paul's commendation, and for that matter, our commendation, it doesn't come from commending ourselves as we compare ourselves with others. Now, verse 18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Do we live as children of God, seeking to please our Heavenly Father? We live as servants of, of Jesus, seeking to please our Lord and Saviour. And so even amidst criticism, accusation, we can look ahead and long for that day when we will appear before our Lord and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We live ultimately before an audience of one, our Lord Jesus. Criticism, accusation will come. So let's learn from the example of Paul, who, as he followed, followed Christ, to be humble and gentle, to trust the truth. With our confidence in Christ, our commitment to consistency, not comparing ourselves with others, but focusing on what God has given us to do as we strive to please God. And may he work that in us by his grace more and more that we would please and honour him. Amen.